0: Welcome to the Zach Sweets Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Sweets. And today on ZSP, we talk to a friend of mine, Stuart Pence, who is American abroad. He left at a time when America seemed to really be in flux. And so I thought it'd be a really interesting conversation with an American expat viewing things from abroad. Stewart is from Missouri and has a heart and an ear for what's going on. In fact, he always seems to shoot me a message or a text uh, article. And we kind of rap about what's going on. And so an astute observer, um, a a bright friend of mine, very excited to have this conversation. And do not forget to catch me on the other end of the episode for my final thoughts. Um, Stuart Pence, ZSP. Let's begin. Welcome to the Zach Suites podcast, ZSP, whatever you want to call it. It's going to have its final form here soon, um, as in like this episode. Um, and speaking of this episode, I'm really excited to have a conversation with a good friend of mine from high school. Like, uh, yeah, high school. And, you know, we, we've our friendship has kind of stayed Connected all the way through, well, making it through 2020. I was just joking with somebody that everybody has their New Year's resolutions. Um, but w- what if we just reevaluated our friendships, you know, and just some people didn't make the cut. Anyway, uh, this person definitely makes the cut, um, uh, even though he decided to uh, skip out and head over to Berlin, Germany, coming to us live from uh, Europe. We have Stuart Pence. How are you, Stuart?
1: Oh, you know, just like everybody else in 2020, I think surviving is the name of the game. I'm not going to come at you with any of the inspirational stuff about starting a podcast or reading 30 books or doing anything beyond the pale. You know, uh, over here in Berlin, I think things are about the same as they are back home. Everyone's kind of waiting out, biding their time and hoping that we can get you know, around the vaccines going so that everybody can return to quasi-normalcy. Did you
0: have um, a goal that you set that you just, you didn't, it didn't
1: happen? Yeah, I was definitely looking to go to the gym more often uh, than I was able to, but that was the first thing that got shut down and maintained them being shut down. And, uh, you know, for the greater good, I think I had to stay at home and work on my dad's box
0: that's okay thank you um for doing thank me for for my service yes absolutely you are in correct me if i'm wrong you're in marketing in some fashion um
1: yeah yeah Uh, in marketing my role is the head of marketing for an agency that specializes in video games and in the gaming market so uh Definitely a little bit different than typical product or brand management just because it's so industry specific, uh, but definitely something I love. Gaming's global to the nth degree. We have clients on you know, both sides of the US and all the way over in China and the Far East and of course here in mainland Europe. So it's just been a phenomenal opportunity to, to mix with a global crowd, to work in a global industry and of course being in Berlin, uh, definitely right in the thick of things in terms of the international community.
0: Yeah. I remember when you, you were, you had applied, you told me you applied to a place, uh, in Berlin and very much kind of in a Stuart Pence fashion is, you know, why not? And, um, I was at the place, I was at Boise State, the place we, we had met back in high school, not, you know, you coming from Joplin, me coming from Belton, Kansas City area. We met over that summer and um, I'm at the place where we meet. I, I'm back, uh, you know, fast forward, I'm back as a counselor and you call me excited because you had actually also applied for a place in Kansas City uh, or a job in Kansas City and you're like, hey, it looks like we're going. I'm going to be in Kansas City. There's there's no way that Berlin's going to be able to uh, compete with what they offered. So uh, yeah, this is it. And I'm I'm excited. One of my good friends, I had just moved back. One of my good friends uh, is going to, and I know you enjoy Kansas City as well. Um, and then two days later, you call me like, yeah, yeah, no, actually, it looks like Berlin's going to be able to make it happen. So uh, I'm off to Berlin, and I wasn't upset at all because. Uh, absolutely i think i told you like yeah of course i understand take that but i was upset that my friend in this like it felt so right again being in the place where we met you're like hey man we're gonna be in the same city this is gonna be awesome and then not even two days later it's like yeah actually you know the thing i got you excited about it's not it actually it's not happening something cooler is gonna be gonna be happening
1: oh man i'll tell you what i think about that all the time uh, just what it would be and how different it might be if i came to the city I'd be making a hell of a lot more money, I'll tell you what. But uh, it'd be, of course, there with all the the friends and close to the family. It'd definitely be a different take. But uh, it was just one of those things where I honestly went into it without any amount of preparation. I just saw, like, uh, oh, opportunity to move to Europe. That sounds cool. And uh, just did it. I'm not going to lie. I had very little prep. I obviously knew none of the German language. Still don't. It's terrible. I uh, hadn't had my housing lined up or anything. I really came over and, with my cat and a suitcase and just kind of figured it out. If I could go back in time, I might reevaluate some of those decisions. But I think uh, coming to Berlin was a good call. You know, it's uh, I could have been working in healthcare marketing in Kansas City, and while I'm sure I would have been damned fine at it, uh, working in video games, I think just presents a uh, a career in a way that, that healthcare marketing maybe didn't enthrall me.
0: Well, it, and it always, you always do better when it's something that you enjoy. Um, so I, I'm just, I'm sorry, I can't get the picture of you, a cat in a suitcase, just like there, getting off the plane
1: uh, in Germany. Good word.
0: How long have you been in Germany
1: now, in Berlin? Uh, I guess I moved here on August 1st, 2018. So now we're, we're going on two and a half years.
0: Okay. Okay. How would you, um, you know, growing up in the Midwest in Missouri, how would you compare the, uh, the just the you know, the climate and is it typically a little bit warmer than, uh, Missouri, a little bit colder.
1: It's more moderate. It's, uh, there, there are days that get cold, but it's really doesn't hit like zero degrees Fahrenheit ever. Like it really kind of hovers in, in the low 20s, mid 20s, in the winter at worst. Um, and then the summer, it's rare that it gets up to 100, but it will get there maybe a week out of the year. So it tends to be a little less hot, um, a little less cold. But where the differences come in are the style of precipitation. They're, in the winter, it's just a, a gray, wet mess. And it's always just like just a mist that kind of clings to the city. It's not a hard rain or a thunderstorm. And uh, the, the other big difference is just how much more North Berlin is compared to where we are. And sure. that makes the sun go down so much earlier in the winter. And it also means that the sun stays up quite late in the summer. So I get that uh, the length of the day is much more exaggerated here. and I think that's the biggest difference. When the sun goes down at 3.30 in the winter, you really don't know what to do with yourself
0: that that yeah that would mess that would mess me up i remember um back in college studying abroad we were in the netherlands we were uh, probably about a 20 minute train we were in leiden probably about a 20 minute train ride from amsterdam and this was the first time i had ever been in europe um and we it was our last night in leiden we were going to head to another city um another country and we decided to go out. We had been there for, you know, a couple of days. So we had established a bar that we would go to and we get there because we were, you know, we get there as the sun goes down and they're like, why are you guys, why do you guys come so late? Like we're closing in two hours. So I'm like, what do you mean coming so late? It's the sun's down. And I look at my phone and it was like 11 o'clock. Um, this is over the summer. And I was, and I, that was the first time I had ever thought about, you know, actually, well, you know, not going by the the sun and checking your checking your watch
1: right but there's something special there about the the 11 o'clock in the in the evening sun's still up you know everyone's out in the parks drinking you know listening to music it's got that very lackadaisical vibe and it's just uh it's quaint you don't really get that to the same degree as you do in in the states just the the lounging vibe if you will Yeah, it
0: is different. It it is different. Um, And everybody very well could be drunk, but no one's belligerent. Anyways, what is before we start talking about the year and review, if you will, what is kind of one big one difference that you have either noticed that's prevalent every day or just something that has really kind of changed your perception and paradigm coming uh, from the middle of, you know, the, the country, the U.S. over to Berlin?
1: Oh man, how has my paradigm shifted? I think um, it's really made globalization something that I've always recognized, studied, commentated on. It's really made it real. I'm sitting in Berlin, in a city where I shamefully still don't have a grasp of the language, and I'm able to thrive because I have a network of colleagues, a network of friends, and an entire network of of people even in tertiary situations like the grocery store, or cafes or whatnot, they speak English, right? This uh, this wouldn't happen 50 years ago. I couldn't just plop in to the dead center of Berlin and not speak a lick of German and, and be able to thrive here. It, it's It's absolutely unreal to me that that's a possibility. And like I said, I didn't do a whole lot of advanced planning. I kind of got the job and hopped on a plane and figured out the rest as I went. And while it was ill-advised and I would highly recommend go, you know, doing it, doing it the way that I did, it was possible. And it wasn't life-threatening nor was it debilitating in any significant way. I made it work. And that just doesn't happen, you know, 20, 30 years ago, I don't think. And, um, I think it's just very telling being in a city like berlin where i'm a mere few blocks away from you know checkpoint charlie my my flat sits in the former zone between the two walls to see how much change can can manifest and manifest so quickly we grew up in that analog generation right where we we were pre-internet and grew into the internet and now i'm, I'm seeing a society that has, has fundamentally gone past the tipping point. Globalization is here. It's inevitable. It's only going to continue to accentuate and grow. And uh, my, my spot in Berlin here shows that to the nth degree. I think that's the perspective that, that it really brings, is how much smaller the world is realistically, uh, if not for, for COVID regulations. If I had unlimited access to money, I could see you in 12 hours. Right it's really not that crazy yeah
0: and there's something about being in a space that has so much history um packed in it uh layered on top of it uh that and and that's one thing that maybe in the US we are a little bit more prone to missing um, or misunderstanding is the significance and relevance of history that kind of leads us to where we're at. I remember in my study abroad, I had a professor, my professor looked down as the first night we were there looked down the table, we were all eating um, dinner at this restaurant. And he said, this building, this restaurant is older than our country. And that just—I mean, my mind just was just like pop, 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 um, just having brain blasts. Um, because I, that never crossed my mind. It never—I never thought about that. You know, a building being older than a country, and so being in that space um, where, where you talk about, you know, the the change in Berlin um, and seeing the the well, the difference between what was Eastern Berlin and Western Berlin, uh, and the fact that you're able to. You know, be dropped in there, and make it work. That is what I feel is so awesome about traveling. And if you have the opportunity like you did of living abroad, I haven't had that chance. Well, I haven't actually sought that opportunity yet. But uh, yeah, no, I love it. I love hearing that. You know, let's just get into the year. You know, the year started off what seemed like was going to be kind of normal. Don't forget. And this is going to come full circle because we're going to eventually get to all of it here. Don't forget this time last year, we knew that, um, you know, in 2020, January, early January 2020, uh, we knew that the
1: coronavirus existed. In Wuhan. Late January 2020 is when it kind of started hitting headlines, right?
0: Yeah, the U.S. started pulling their people from Wuhan um, as of like January 30th. So we're looking at this. Tell me, I'm really curious. Um, not just when you're looking at the U.S. I think everybody was kind of in the same spot at the U.S. at this point in time. What was what was the day that everything changed for you in in Berlin? Uh, you know, regarding COVID. Tell me what, what day was that like when you noticed or knew that everything was different?
1: That was early March. That's when, uh, all the, you know, toilet paper shortages started hitting the news and all the stuff of hoarders back home. That wasn't as bad here. First weeks of March, because we were still in the office that first week of March. And then there was a big meeting about what was going to happen. And then it was, uh, okay, we're going to act on it. We're going to go ahead and work from home. Um, where we can be on this in two weeks and we just never went back. I I think the office is probably exactly as we left it, but yeah, it was the day that we, we were saying, okay, we'll work from home. And that was, that's when I was, it felt a little bit more real.
0: You know, and that's, that's actually, it's funny you say that you just left everything there. Uh, more or less everything was left in the same place. Uh, because I've went on walks to, keep my sanity and i would walk by office buildings you know that my still have their lights on and i could see where you know early uh in march i could see where the 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 chairs had been left like it was it was almost as if apocalyptic you know people just up and left and <laughs> the rapture back. yeah
1: everybody yeah. got lifted
0: yeah, uh, the trash was still left on the table, the candy bar wrapper, whatever, um, the half-drank tea. It was really strange, and I'll tell you, the first day or the day that it really hit for me, it was actually the um, the right before the tournament. So you had your the college basketball tournament. Yeah, yeah. So you had
1: your I remember that now because they were still deciding what to do, and it was like up in the air whether or not there would be a tournament and like a question of if it would be played
0: man and you know even getting like what led into that space was the current ones that were rolling right so kansas city was hosting the big 12 as we have and there were games that i think were being played like the moment like everything started shutting down so games were canceled all of a sudden i was supposed to uh be at those games i was really excited and um I was like, oh man, of course. And then my well, one of our mutual friends uh, was working at one of the places downtown, um, and he was like, yeah, no, everyone's canceling on us. Their reservations, uh, we're probably gonna have to shut down tonight. And that, like, everything ceased. Like that, that was the day everything it seemed um, in Kansas City just stopped initially. Uh, it was just like your gradual, just, nope, this is done. We're not, we're, <laughs> we're not doing this. We don't, it, we, Corona, Corona, everybody go home. And then I think that's whenever the run on the toilet paper and everything kind of started was like from that day forward.
1: Uh, could you imagine how awful it would have been for the NCAA had they decided to go through with games and how, oh my excited, goodness. Like, how terrible that would have been for them? Like, let's just and- guinea pig these athletes. Remember
0: uh, for how? Once, upset for once, were. they made a good decision. <laughs> for once, the the NCAA made the right choice. But I think that was outside because I'm you know I'm looking at it and the W. I mean, the, I don't even know if that was the same day. But the WHO, the World Health Organization, um, declared it a pandemic officially on March 11th. Um, so, it, it, and the 2020 Olympics were officially postponed on that like around that same time so um I don't know they had a lot of well no it was probably about uh 10 days or so afterwards um but they, they had some they had some reason to do the right thing not necessarily just making the smart decision uh but we'll we'll jump on there was the precedent the there was precedent for them um just like there's precedent for paying athletes but um so yeah, you know the other crazy thing about qu- quarter one of 2020 um, was that
1: Trump was being impeached. God, doesn't that seem like ages ago? I think like, that's the uh, the crux of 2020, and why I'm glad you kind of went back and and took a tab on the different events that happened this year. But it felt like so much happened, specifically with regards to Trump and politics. that it's so normalized, it's so hyper-normalized, that it's almost impossible to keep track of all the insanity on a daily basis. It's just more and more and more, and after a while it all gets lost in the noise.
0: It does. It does. There's so much of it. There's so much of it. Um, And I I think that's (sighs) by design. Um, What I said to somebody who told me that they couldn't believe X, Y, or Z, I said, check Check the receipts, check the tapes. Like it's all there, (laughs) like everything going back even beyond just a year, like everything that we're seeing, uh, have seen, uh, it's all it's all there. But you're you're right. There's so much of it that it just kind of gets lost. And it's crazy. Um, Suzanne Collins. This is a headline. This is this is a cute headline. Suzanne Collins will vote to acquit Trump saying he's, quote, learned
1: from learned his lesson. Right. It learned his lesson, bull butter. Yeah, that he one. That one still lesson. gets me. Yeah, I remember that quote, and I hope she lives with that forever. It it's absolutely mind boggling to me. And you know, there's obviously the senators that and people in the house as well who ride the party line. But there's almost nothing worse than pretending to be a swing voter. When in reality, you're not. She constantly would say something that had shades of liberalism. And then when it came time to actually vote on the floor. It was always Republican, right? Like, I I just almost abhor the fact that she's so willing to say one thing and do the other with, with zero impunity. And the thing that bothers me about that is she knows she's
0: manipulating people and we, we want to believe that those people that are a little bit more moderate are going to be on our side if they are not already in our camp. And I think that's something that she, she, she's been doing. I think the year will show that. Uh, and that, I, that quote shows it, right. He's learned his, he's learned his lesson. And um, look, either you're going to be with me or you're not, and I'm not going to expect you to be with me if you're not uh, consistently, but if you are that swing um, voter, swing vote in the uh, legislature itself, don't gaslight people. Pe- people deserve better than that. Don't gaslight people. Just just be honest and say, I'm not going to be with you. You know, I saw that all the time in Jeff City. And you had these people who were in the other camp, in the other party, and they would be like, man, I- I'm not with the far extreme on this. I just couldn't be. This is just not right. And then it comes down to, all right, well, are you going to then vote for or against this motion that stops them from doing X, Y, or Z? Or are you going to sign this letter for a filibuster to break a filibuster? And they end up doing exactly what their original team, their party, wants them to do. They they, they say, no, I'm with you. I'm not for all of this mess. But they end up enabling it, essentially the people who are um, who are are causing harm or at least maybe cuz this isn't about whether or not they disagree with you or agree with you there are things that are just i think very and i hate to say black and white cuz i don't think everything is black and white there's a lot of gray but things that are going to make a situation better and things that are going to make a situation worse and you 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 get the raw information and data on those decisions sometimes And those people like Suzanne Collins, who have decisions to make, like, uh, you know, children in cages, um, you know, people getting relief, uh, economic relief, that that's an up or down. There's like there's a plus minus on your decision there. And when we're talking about the president being impeached for his actions, it's fine. He just learned his lesson. It's like he learned his lesson. The House did what they did. It's, you know. We don't have to act. The House did that. Um, and that's where I talk to people who've been in government uh, in some capacity. I'm like, hey, you need
1: to I don't I don't expect you to run, but I expect you. Yeah, to say so uh, Suzanne Collins did win in this recent election, so she'll be there for six years.
0: Yeah. So she was, she was obviously trying not to, you know, say anything controversial. And that's the other thing. If you're going to run, just be you. And I understand some things are difficult, but there are some things that aren't, but she, she was up for re-election, So, you know, she didn't want to lose her base. That's. but
1: well, that's what, that's what drives me nuts though, is that if by positioning yourself as a swing voter, who can occasionally get you across the other side, it just opens the way for her to be courted and, The federal government shouldn't be out to reward the people of Maine for having a flip floppy Senator. It's not by design supposed to work like that. And I I really just don't find it really in, in line with democracy to give one person so much power to introduce state selfish legislature just in order to achieve a national agenda that requires their their effort or their appeasement right Uh, it's sure it's one thing that it happens and that's how our constitution works get over it but it's not a sign of a healthy and functioning democracy when you need to bribe certain states or districts or or representatives in order to to get across what should be common sense legislation not everything has to be political
0: you know, I I, I want to disagree with you. I think everything in its nature is political, um, but not everything has to be political. I, I'm splitting hairs, but again, there are just some things that are, are an up or down. Like, yeah, this is going to be helpful. This is not going to be helpful. I watch people get elected, reelected, um, who would just gaslight their 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 folks. I don't know. I just, I think I would like to think people are, are ready for something different. You know, she won, she's going to be there. There's a lot of folks that are going to be there for four, six years. Um, so we'll, we'll see how things kind of evolve, but looking at how 2020 evolved, I think quarter two is where the year exploded. Um, and I'm not going to say Corona had nothing to do with it. Corona definitely had a, p- put in place a lot of the context, um, and some of this is directly, you know, resulting from Corona. But um, the second quarter, man, man. Well, let's let's just start with April because um, that's not even. I mean, it's you want to hear something that sounds just absolutely ridiculous, like would never happen in this in this country.
1: Uh, anything can happen. I don't disagree. Any- Everything's in play.
0: Here's the headline. Tensions over COVID took center stage in April when armed demonstrators took to the Michigan State Capitol to protest stay-at-home orders.
1: Uh, that was in April? It was in April. Oh, man. I felt... Uh- the storming of the Michigan Capitol seems like it was yesterday.
0: No, I think you're. I think you're mixing that up with a different Capitol being stormed.
1: I'm talking about the Michigan one that felt like it was just yesterday. Uh, I am using a turn of phrase. Okay. I say, okay. whereas COVID, COVID felt like an eternity ago, the events at the Michigan State Capitol feel much more recent. And uh, I know that's only a matter of weeks in real time. Maybe it's just because of the parallels between the recent events at the US Capitol. Maybe it's because uh, the political nonsense is so overwhelming that it all blends into one timeline. I'm not sure, but uh, yeah, those, those events, despite being a mere weeks apart, seem in, in a different timeline.
0: Absolutely. And you know, I was being I was being sarcastic, obviously, when I was like, here's something that, that you wouldn't believe happened. Um, but, you know, I'm looking at a picture of folks that are obviously in the state capital um, and they are uh, this is a Reuters picture, um, but, they, you know, they have Kevlar um, rifles masks like they are decked out i don't know if these are loaded rifles or not um but i remember watching this happen and and this isn't just the six people in this picture i remember watching this on the news and not thinking oh my god this is crazy but thinking how in the hell did they get in there with those rifles
1: like yeah how- they let them that's the short answer is they let them if you don't enforce the rules equally people feel as if they the rules don't apply to them and i mean this is the parallel that i saw even this past week in, in the Capitol. there was a lady that got maced and she was talking to the reporter she was like i i can't believe they maced me you know the the irony the irony of a year filled with police brutality protests getting brutalized by the police and, and rightly so they were, they were trying to storm the Capitol and it's still not understanding what's right in front of them. Right. I, it, it's unbelievable to me.
0: I saw down in um, Jeff city, What was it, I think it, so it was after, after Michael Brown um, and the States just doing nothing with the situation um, at least in response. Right. I mean, activists, one of the States, the state of Missouri to change some laws um, that wouldn't, you know, not allow that situation to happen again. Um, And I remember they were, there were some protesters in this, in the gallery, you can be in the gallery. You're, you're just kind of expected to sit there quietly and observe. And so they, you You know, know, be generally respectful. Sure. Unless you're trying to make a point. And so um, the, these uh, demonstrators, you know, put out a banner you know they let everything get started this is when they're um swearing in and so they get started and they they start chanting i think it was black lives matter um uh what they were chanting and they uh let down a banner that said the same thing um and they had been in the building that day anyway and so you know that that was their way to protest they wanted to, and when senate security the doormen came they they left peacefully. And that was more or less the end of that. They were still in the building the rest of the day. But when that happened, there were people that like clutched their, their pearls. They were so offended that that happened. Oh my goodness. The Senate president, the Lieutenant governor at the time nearly broke the gavel hammer trying to hammer them down in terms of silencing them. Then I watch, you know, fast forward, then I watch this happen because I'm, you know, people go to the capital state, their state capitals all the time. But to see such a large group armed, that was that was a surprise to me. Just the parallel just between someone, you know, disrupting, but then again, leaving um, the Senate chamber So these folks were different states i get it but these state, these folks were in the rotunda any door could lead to anybody and they have arms that's that's a chilling precursor to to what eventually you know plays out
1: i mean it's absolutely chilling and the the thing about it is that if you accept that the second amendment is predicated on the belief that we ought to have a check on governmental authority and power. Your statement of guns at the Capitol is I'm willing to die and to kill in order to show my displeasure with the state of affairs. You don't bring guns to an institution you intend to work within. You bring guns to an institution you intend to destroy. And that's where the line for me is different. Like if you want to work within the institution, work within the institution. If you want to topple the institution, topple the institution, but don't mix the two up. Like guns don't help you achieve the former. Did this news make it out to Berlin? Oh, the Michigan stuff? Yeah. Yeah, Did Uh, anybody ask you about it? I mean, people, people talk to me about Trump and ask me about stuff all the time because I'm the token American. And for better or for worse, we are on the, the center stage. So anytime he did something, tweeted something, said something, best believe I got asked about it, right? Um, It doesn't always mean it was the same people or that it reached, you know, 100 percent saturation amongst the population here. Yeah. But But the White House had to put out
0: a had to put out a statement is trying to get the protesters to back off in Michigan.
1: Well, I'm sure he told them they were special and that he loved him and they needed to go home and uh, they definitely learned their lesson. Yeah. Can I just write the irony Bible using nothing but quotes from Republicans over the past four years?
0: I think that's just volume one. And that's the, that's the thing. Like, that's why all of this for me is like, do I agree with one or the other? Uh, Yeah. That's a very easy yes for me. Understanding that. I also understand that like the history that has led to this, this time, this snippet in time is full of context, full of history, full of, um, you know, waves of identity, thoughts, um, you know, economic situations that have steered these parties to be where they're at now. And they're not all for good reasons. They're not all inside their control or outside of their control, but we look at these things as static institutions. Like they require maintenance. They require us to, be not just engaged but understanding what's what is going on uh and what's at stake and what what can change and that's not just democrat republican that is legitimate just understanding like hey like i benefit from the fact that there is a society and a government that's moving around me that are enabling you know roads to be well to exist let alone be lit for me to be able to get mail um and and you know these things that we seemingly just took for granted before COVID. Um, and that's what these protesters were, were fighting for, I, I, I guess, um, was their right to be able to go out and do these things because, doggone it, no one can tell them they can't. Well, you're missing the underlying understanding that we
1: agree to be in this society and this society has rules. My larger problem with it isn't even the, the arguments over the state's right to mandate whether or not I ought to wear a mask or need to or demand that I do, right? I don't buy that it's an infringement on your freedom. I don't, I don't buy any of the counter arguments. They don't work because who cares? How it played out
0: is, in Berlin?
1: You know, I'll be honest. I wish I saw more people wearing masks as standard fare. People will wear them when they're mandated credit to the Germans, they love following rules. And So if you say wear them in the supermarkets, wear them in the public transit, people will wear them in public transit and wear them in the supermarkets. They won't wear them on the street. So whenever I walk around, I'm the one in every twenty outside who has a, ma- a mask on. Was
0: Was there no like opposition like you saw in the U.S.?
1: There was opposition, and there are a couple, I think two or three now, marches or protests against wearing masks by a bunch of COVID idiots. Um, and That happened, uh, like one in the summer and then one in the fall, one again here not too long ago in the winter. So, I mean, there's obviously opposition there. And, and the thing is, the mask, anti-mask movement here has largely been defined by the same the lines that the anti-mask movement in the United States is defined around. It's the right-leaning population, not the left-leaning population. Um, In general, it brings out some of the worst aspects of the right-leaning population.
0: But no one's storming no capitals in Berlin with rifles.
1: No, you're not seeing the same level of violence. You're not seeing, you know, really everything that plays out in the U.S. has played out on a magnified version not just because of the lens that's over it and the camera's pointed at it, but just because everything in America happens more. There's a terrorist attack here. Well, he killed three people with a knife. Well, we had to go shoot 31 with a rifle. Right? Well, and it's, that's that's real, right? And, and that actually
0: makes me think about w- what happened in, in May, right? What happens more here than in anywhere else, um, which w- we saw the... Killing of George Floyd. That was, you know, I feel like I'm messing up my timeline here. I feel like George Floyd happened after um, Ahmaud Arbery, and then after that happened, Arbery happened monitor. right after George Floyd. If I remember okay, right. so it was right. At, okay, but so May was May was the month. I mean, that's what really I think. um, talking about, you know, stuff that happens here more than anywhere else. This was, this was a different situation. I mean, it wasn't a different situation. This was very much what we have come to expect um, in America. Um, and I, we work hope and um, pray that it will be different sooner rather than later. But this one felt different. And I'm curious what you saw in Berlin, there was a worldwide I don't want to say response, but everyone saw this and it almost felt like every everyone connected with this in some way around the world. And I'm not saying this was a unified everyone saw it the same way. And I'm painting this rosy picture. But we I I did notice it was noted um, just how widespread uh, the international um, recognition of this situation as, as a whole and that incident in the in the movement at that point in time did you see anything um over uh in your part of the world
1: i mean there were huge protests for the support of black lives matter and by the way i googled it ahmaud aubrey did die before george floyd okay uh, there's a uh, some court cases that were going along, around uh, along the same timeline but yeah back to the question at hand the, the response it was huge turnout was huge in berlin um I went to that protest for for a little bit, but then turned away when I saw how how big the crowd was, didn't want to be involved in you know, a super spreader event and just felt that in general, my voice wasn't necessary for that message to be heard. But there was a huge, huge turnout in Berlin. And I saw where Munich, I think, had the biggest turnout in all of Europe. only we were like 30, 35,000 people showed up. But you're right. This was a. Uh, wow. The George Floyd event was the, the watershed moment, I think, for, for BLM. And, you know, it's unfortunate. There's been so many people who have lost their lives, not only before, but since. You know, it, it, it's maddening how it's hard to even remember the timelines of all the different names of the different people who have been shot, killed by our police. You know, it, it, it breaks my heart. But I think the George Floyd case was so... Um, so instrumentally important for the movement. It, it's terrible to say something in such a way about a man's death, but America needed to see that. And it was it, it's hard to watch, it's hard to talk about, but that's the point, right? And uh, no sane, blue-blooded American can watch that victim and think anything more than that guy's a victim. If you have an alternate narrative, if you have a different take on it, it's wrong. Watch the video. How are you seeing anything differently than what I saw, a victim? And I think that's what was so crucial about this video is that if you took the time to watch it, there was no debate, none. And we all saw it. And it rightfully you know, kicked off a national debate and sparked the national consciousness because we hear stories of people being shot and killed by police. We hear stories of kids suffering in cages, but we had a video of that playing out right in front of us. And if you interpreted it any differently than that man being a victim, then you were watching it wrong. And that's what was so different about that moment.
0: You're you're absolutely, absolutely right. you hear of Ahmaud Arbery, and I'll just say for the pandemic, I I was losing my mind um, and I've found other ways to, you know, kind of keep myself balanced. And, and like, I just I have to interact with people or I have to do something that is that's just 100 percent my my personality. And so early on, I was going out and running and then Ahmaud Arbery happens and I, I just bought these running shoes they weren't like anything special but I was like hey I got running shoes I'm gonna do this this is gonna be great you know keep me going during the pandemic that happens and I was like I it wasn't that I thought it was gonna happen to me the fact that it, it could be me and that's what, every, that's what every one of these moments feels like and then George Floyd happens and I was like that 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 could be me and you know every you just keep stacking them on um you know brianna taylor that could be my sister it could be so it could be anybody directly in my family someday it could be my nephew and so when i went to the kansas city one um i'd never seen so many allies in the group before but it I have to admit it was our age and, and younger. Um, and there were some folks who, you know, older than us, of course, but I also saw a diverse age group and um, all these different communities were, were there showing their solidarity. And it wasn't just on one day, it was on multiple days. And that's why I kind of asked about, you know, what you saw in, in, in Germany. Uh, Cause it felt like people were recognizing allies were like, ah, OK, I think I understand this, like inaction is a form of action or enabling. Uh, not everybody got it. And still, there's a lot of people that don't get it. And there's people that, who, who are comparing what happened recently to what happened over the summer. And those are the same things. And these are people in, in the U.S. Congress. Uh, it, it's it's that I will say is what keeps me um, grounded in, in the moment. Um, and kept me grounded in that moment, and what we would then see in the next month is just that realization that not, not a, there are people that are choosing not to see George Floyd as the victim. There, there are people that are choosing not to see what happens on a daily basis and has been happening. They choose not to see a that is happening. That's the or false B, the flag, impacts.
1: right? Is yeah. that you always see every single time one of these things happens? It's like let's assassinate their character. The first yeah, thing let's yeah. find on George Floyd that we don't like about him and let's plaster it up there is to make it seem as if somehow he had it coming, right? Like that's always the playbook. And that kind of gets always. back to my original point is that if you watch the video, how can you interpret it any differently than everybody who was marching? If you can't see why people are mad about that, you were searching for ways to fill your narrative. You were deliberately turning a blind eye to the problem, but it, it's clear as day, right? He was just a dude and he died for existing. And, um, you know, it's, uh, that, that's neither here nor there. He reminded me though, you know, we were talking about this moment in, in, in action and what it means, uh, you know, I'm a big Freddie Gibbs fan. And he released the album yes. Alfredo early yes. this year. And man, what a great time to drop the album because it really captured the zeitgeist for me. And there's a, but there's an outro on the song God is Perfect. And that outro is voiced by Gil Scott Heron. Gil, Gil, uh, Gil Scott Heron is phenomenal. You should take a listen. He's the one that wrote The People. That was sampled by Kanye for Common's The People. Uh, as as where Gil Scott Heron is the outro on the song, God is perfect Freddie Gibbs. And it just summarized everything so well. And it says the thing that's going to change people is something that no one will be able to capture on film. And and that part was wrong. Of course, it'll, it'll just be something that you see. And all of a sudden you realize I'm on the wrong page or I'm on the right page, but I'm on the wrong note and I've got to get in sync with everybody else to understand what's happening in this country. And I love that because I think it captured everything so perfectly. Like there's just this moment where you're going to see it and you realize I'm on the wrong page or maybe I'm on the right page, but I'm on the wrong note. And I love that. And I love the recognition that there's a lot of people in this country who are on the right page. They're just on the wrong note. Yeah.
0: And that can be, that can be said for so many issues as as well. Um, And, You know, we're so focused on development of this tower, this building, whatever, the Dow, the stock exchange, all these artificial markers that society is growing, but we we oftentimes don't think about how are we growing society on just on like the day to day basis and how we operate together, and that's where our, where our laws and norms and our elected officials come into play and in setting this set, setting our tone and our tenor and, and our leadership for our country, and uh, the following month, uh, in June, the big headline do you do you remember do you remember what what the president did in June
1: you know this is one of those things where i think it's just safe to assume that i've blocked out everything related to his past year
0: don't you feel like there so there are times for me i'll say that people will more or less just what happened to you also do you remember something that happened around this time and or somebody will just bring up something that happened during the presidency or leading up to the presidency and i'll be like oh my goodness yeah that happened like it, it's you're right. It gets lost in there. There's so much. It's so unexpectedly expected. But in June, a peaceful protest near the White House was broken up in order to allow President Trump to pose outside. Oh, yeah. When he tear gas Bible.
1: protesters. Yeah. Just so he could go. And he held the Bible upside down, too, if I recall. <sighs>
0: The picture itself and what he did in his whole existence is uh, so problematic, but we'll keep pushing because this is this year is full of stuff and we're not even done talking about him, unfortunately. Hey, but the good news is the Joint Chiefs chairman said that he regretted appearing in the picture. So that, that means something, right, for how we know this all played out?
1: Yeah, exactly. He learned his lesson once again.
0: He, he learned his lesson. He learned his lesson. This was just such a... Crazy summer, I feel like. I feel like the summer drug on forever. And I love summers. Um, I'm not a cold-weather person at all. But the summer just drug on was just bad news after bad news. There was record-shattering amounts of uh, hurricanes during this hurricane season as well. And uh, you know how we topped it off whenever we got into um, the final quarter of the year? Oh, do lay it on me. The death of RGB. Here it is, September. We got uh, election in full swing. Joe Biden, we didn't even talk about the primaries, but like Joe Biden wins the primaries um, after kind of surging back uh, with South Carolina and um, just handedly getting the nomination for the Democrats. Um, you have all of your state primaries wrapped up and everybody's either elected or they're, they're heading off into a battle in the general. And before we get to all of this, RGB, and they're looking at replacing her quickly on the Supreme Court. How did, how did it hit you hearing RGB's death?
1: I mean, the, the first thing that they came to mind was like, oh, man, it happened now. It's not that it was su- surprising. It's just that you hoped that she could hang on for a couple more months. And then the second thought was immediately, well, they're going to fill somebody in the court. Like there was never a doubt in my mind that the Republicans were going to take the opportunity to to go ahead and fill the seat, like precedent be damned, uh, even the one that they cited previously. Right. Uh, so my my first feeling was that of existential dread, just oh, my gosh, you know, there's so much damage that can be undone if we get control of the House, if we get control of the Senate and we get control of the presidency but losing control of the courts definitively uh, was really something that filled me with a lot of dread.
0: That was, yeah. Yeah. Uh, No one should have been under the impression that anything other than what happened was going to happen. And, And I think the fact that it happened in relative short order kind of suggests that when I heard, when I saw that, uh, It was of the official end of an era. Like it is, it was the official end of the 20th century. I think we've had this conversation before. I believe that we are 20 years late for the new century. We we're just behind it. Our conversations, what we are debating. And and I think a lot of what 2020 has done has highlighted so many of those issues um, that we're just not dealing with. That are more important to our survival, um, and if we're going to actually move forward and be in in this, you were talking about this interconnected global world. If we're going to be a part of this, if we're going to thrive, if we're going to survive in this, uh, we got to we we have to catch up. And when you have the woman who fought herself for uh, women's uh, equality. And um, she then goes on to be on the Supreme Court herself. Incredible story. If you haven't seen RGB, I think it's a CNN film. Um, It's it's wonderful. Or no, I think it's called Notorious, actually. Excuse me. It's called Notorious. And uh, it's very well done. It's just a cool, you know, I don't care what your political leanings are. It's it's a well-done documentary on somebody that I think everybody should know about. Seeing her you know, finally pass and the situation in which we're in, I feel like that kind of officially like the pandemic has definitely flung us into the 21st century um, just out of, yeah. out of necessity. Um, but I think uh, in terms of this, our society, the American society, I think she, her death marks the end of it. And I think we officially have to reckon with things. And uh, I think how the rest of the year ended up playing out and the, direction that we're on now is going to be more things that we're going to just have to reckon with and be like hey we got to deal with this now uh we haven't been dealing with this we have to deal with this yesterday
1: yeah absolutely i mean i don't know if her death is that watershed moment i think it's a politically absolutely a watershed moment but i don't know if it's the the one that shows us springing 20 years in the future i do think Oh, no, oh, I man. think
0: it's going to be one of the, It's like historical markers, like everything after that moment in some way was just different. The stakes were different. This is you know what I mean? To your point about having the Supreme Court changed. I mean, that was um, I think that is, that changes the politics. I don't know what's going to be heading to the Supreme Court. But, um, I don't have that kind of view. I know some people do, but um, I just for maybe I'm speaking, hopefully, maybe I'm maybe I'm being an optimist here.
1: Yeah, I think you're being optimistic. I don't know what to expect out of the Supreme Court, but my my hopes aren't high. I think that Trump's done as much damage as possible, um, and in packing the courts is is one of those things. I say damage because, of course, I believe in a, a different agenda than he does. For some people is probably the best thing that's happened since you know in their lifetimes. I couldn't tell you, but for me, it, it was absolutely. Um, just a shocking and terrible moment. Yeah. And
0: it gets, the the year gets crazier from there because in October we have uh, Trump getting the virus himself. Anyways, I digress. Um, what was the feeling in berlin in germany from folk kind of talking to you leading up to the election what was the the anticipation for the results not necessarily the day of the election but did anybody kind of give you ask well, you what your thoughts were did you that. vote the most important question this was a big yes. push throughout the
1: year you voted yes yes i voted even from abroad if i can do it anybody can do it all right all right was it difficult no it was super easy you just get online and fill out a form and no i had to fill it out and scan it and then email it back but nothing big what uh, what were people curious uh, you as the resident uh american i mean they were they were just more or less you know um incredulous at the idea that they could even be close they're like how can you how can you not vote them out right that, i think that was the first uh thought was they're like oh my god is it gonna happen again uh, that's a that's what i kept getting asked was like do you think do you think it could happen again? What are your thoughts? Right. Um, uh, but I was worried that they would try to suppress people, keep them from going to the polls, that they would try to disqualify ballots from newly registered voters or people who voted, you know, absentee. And of course they did try all these things in the end. Right. You know, that's, I'm glad that Biden won. Uh,
0: you're right. They did try and they even tried some more afterwards, but um, what, well, you know, we were hanging in the balance for, for, Georgia, but I I didn't have a lot of hope after that election. Did did you get a sense of like relief from those folks who were, who were kind of like, Hey, you guys can't do that twice. Right.
1: Oh, absolutely. Like the day after the election was actually called everybody here drew a, a collective sigh of relief. There was less, uh, I guess investment in the Georgia races. Like I was watching those like a hawk, but, uh, that was clearly, much more secondary to the presidential. So that takes us
0: to December. Um, we get a we get news that we get a vaccine, and then some more news that we have another vaccine. What what was the feeling after the announcement hit the news in, in Berlin?
1: The first news that came out, of course, was Trump trying to meddle and buy the vaccines away from other countries. I mean, the German government is very methodical. They've just come out and like we have vaccines. We're distributing it like this. We're doing it in waves, and uh, I mean at this point, you know, <laughs> they're whenever the, transparent.
0: I, I I was more surprised that there was more that uh, there was going to be a vaccine before twenty twenty one, and the efficacy efficacy rate of the tests and trials. Um, I. I wasn't expecting it so soon. And I know now, um, in present day, our struggle and this had to be kind of with the way that we were handling the pandemic in some way, I don't want to say expected, but we shouldn't be surprised we're having troubles in the U S getting the vaccine, uh, distributed quickly and doing that efficiently is something that we'll kind of grow into. I imagine how has that, how has that kind of played out in Germany?
1: I mean, it really hasn't been, um, A talking point from everything that i've seen i mean i really do think people are just kind of playing along and and letting the government tell us the schedule at which things will happen how things will happen who will get what it's been very clinical very matter of fact uh almost to the point of being dry i'm sure you're Uh, not used to that from your government yeah it's really nice to have a government that just kind of tells you what's up and doesn't really play any games about it um, Merkel's a scientist she has a phd in chemistry she she's not going to misrepresent things in a scientific way uh, like she's going to be very to the point very clinical and it's just refreshing to see competence like having a boring competent government is is it's good good my biggest complaint with the german government is just the bureaucracy and the fact that it exists and you have to deal with it But otherwise, like, I don't have these overarching questions about it and the way that it generally treats things like, sure, there are instances of police brutality here that there are instances of racism and discrimination. It's not a perfect government, nor is any government perfect, but uh, it's not batshit crazy. (laughs) And I appreciate that.
0: How did the German government respond to the economic impact of the pandemic?
1: I mean, there's a lot of different programs for companies to take part. They expanded unemployment, so. But it's I've been not had that struggle, um, but I know that the state has maintained a lot of different programs throughout this time. Yeah, I. I'm just not privy to them.
0: The U.S. in general um, just kind of said, "Hey, good luck. Here's here's what we can do, which is."
1: Twelve hundred and six hundred is the best we can do. Eight hundred, eighteen hundred dollars is the best thing that our government can offer us.
0: Yeah, I would like to think everybody across the political spectrum was expecting
1: like just better. Yeah, just something like if you're not going to respond to the virus, and they didn't, uh, at least like pretend like you're going to do something to help us right like so much of this damage could have been inevitably avoided with just an ounce of competency and uh now we're we're asking them to do right by by their own incompetency and, and they won't well, speaking about doing
0: right by their own incompetency, that actually takes us into the new year. In what has happened in, in our nation's capital, um, in when we're talking about do right with their own incompetency, we're asking um, people now in power to respond accordingly to um the riots the storming the u.s Capitol, and these are the same people that incited not incited it directly because there's one person directly responsible but uh these are people that enabled uh the, this situation to come to pass i do kind of want to come back to something that you started to mention earlier um which is social media platforms and um With your background, what are your thoughts about Trump being suspended from Twitter, Facebook as well? And and I think this is a very interesting situation.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I have a lot of thoughts on social media and I'll try to spare anybody besides to listen from that whole diatribe. Uh, At the end of the day, I do hold social media platforms directly responsible for a lot of the division and degradation in the American social fabric. Our trust in facts, our trust in science, our trust in elections, our divisiveness between each other, I think is all linked to social media. And think about why this is the case. I saw a study that came out just a couple of days ago, actually, that found that 62% of people who had joined like extreme right groups on Facebook had those groups suggested to them by Facebook, like you might be interested in this. And it just shows you how these algorithms work. And I, and I work on these platforms, so I know how these algorithms work. They feed you content that you're likely to consume and engage with positively. If you post something, it's the algorithm is looking for people who are going to want to engage with your post and continue to stay on the platform because they find that post engaging. If you're out there just posting far right, extreme QAnon conspiracy theorists and posting about Pizzagate, the only other people who are gonna interact with your posts are people who are like-minded. Everybody else is gonna gloss over and be like, that crazy person. And we're gonna ignore it. And Facebook's gonna pick up on the fact that we don't give a crap about this person. And they're gonna stop showing us their feed. They're gonna stop showing us their posts because when we do engage with it, we engage with it negatively or we don't engage with it at all, right? So it funnels people into their own echo chambers, wherein the majority of the people are sitting here looking at it, being like, how in the world do these people believe these things? How in the world do they get caught up in it? And the truth is, it's all social media because these platforms are sending people down the road of content that looks and feels like the real deal. So I I think that's all the platforms accountable. Every single one of them. Um, so we, we can all agree that
0: social media has dis- disrupted what we know. And we, we're still making up the rules on how we operate in this space. But, um, you know, they what do they do? They temporarily suspended the president for 12 hours. And then they fully did. Is there any concern about being able to do that? Cause now sure. they want to be the arbiter, right? Like before they were not the arbiter of facts on their platforms. And then all of a sudden when it gets dangerous, they, they are.
1: Dangerous. Or when Democrats took control of the committees, they're going to be overseeing them. And well, who, who knows which one it really is. But now, I mean, at the end of the day, it is a dangerous precedent to set who controls information, who controls truth, who controls, who can say what. And um, it is a sticky, sticky area. But I mean, in the same way that I can't yell fire in a crowded theater, there have to be protections on on what these platforms allow to be posted. And there have to be limitations on the scope of the way that they use data, they use their consumers and the way that they drive and change and shape and alter those behaviors. But there's a, you know, as it comes down to the more Orwellian side of things and trying to assess whether or not this poses a fundamental and direct attack on our ability to express ourselves or express the First Amendment and our rights, there's um, a philosopher, a thinker, Karl Popper, and he has this excellent theory on the tolerance of intolerance. And the idea is that tolerant people necessarily respect the fact that other people have views that may be intolerant, but because they are tolerant of those views, they give a space for the intolerance to grow. However, the inevitable outcome of mass intolerance is that if you disagree with my opinion, it will not be tolerated. And as a result, people who are tolerant get drowned out and crushed under the wave of people who are not tolerant. Uh, I know this is incredibly wordy, but the end-all be-all is you have, even in a tolerant society, you have to make sure that you do not tolerate intolerance. Otherwise it'll eventually crush itself. And it's a tricky paradox, right? That we have to live in a society that allows people to express themselves freely and express themselves in a way that is unique to them and their viewpoint and their perspective. But we cannot let certain beliefs simply grow and live unhindered and unchecked because in the absence of those checks, they will seek to crush other more tolerant voices. And we've seen that happen as of late. And social media only makes that more enabling.
0: Absolutely. And that's that's how we eventually get to folks going from wherever the president was to them going to the U.S. Congress. And let me just go back and say, when you're talking about the tolerance of intolerance um, and how that you know be, begins uh, to stack and what, what we have to do as a, as a society, the work that has to be done, this goes back to the importance of our leaders. And we'll get back to this on the other side of this riot when they get to the Capitol building. I couldn't believe, and I don't, you know, nor nor could anybody believe how close they got, how quickly that they got up there and that they broke in. And I say, I couldn't believe it because, you know, we talked about the year and the response by law enforcement across the country, um, I'm not saying that it was all law enforcement um, in every municipality, but we, we saw incidences where folks with the George Floyd protests and demonstrations where they didn't all stay um, orderly and without um, some bit of, of flair and uh, where that happened Across the country, and even in places where it didn't, uh, I'll just say that I've seen uh, incidences where you know there was no reason for things to get become escalated, but they did. We saw the response to that. They were ready. Municipalities were ready. Okay, in Kansas City alone, uh, I remember when the uh, the state patrol rolled in to uh, the plaza area. I mean, they there was I, I believe. You know, every agency was there. So they were ready. And that was just, again, in Kansas City. Um, and somebody I was talking to was saying, well, you know, like I lived in Jeff City or excuse me, I lived at the Capitol. I, I worked at the Capitol, lived in D.C. And um, they they were just like, you know, Capitol Police and they just weren't prepared. And how could they? And no one could have known that this group yeah, was going to come. Told not to be. And I was like, you know maybe let me just assume everything you're, you're saying is correct um what we saw in DC alone um, and their response to something that legitimately was a uh spur of the moment thing with the george floyd um, uh, demonstrations and protests that wasn't something that was planned right like that incident happened the news got out and then in over a matter of days all of a sudden people were like oh, hold on the, the, this isn't right. And then all of a sudden people go out. This, this event was like talked about for weeks. The president was talking, you know, I go back and I look, the president was tweeting and people were tweeting about going to DC and like they told people what they were going to do, but this was a surprise. And so all of a sudden these people are getting like, they're bashing in the windows and I'm like, no, there's, there's, No military. There's nothing that's coming. But had this been those same groups that we saw over the summer, they would have either A, already been there or B, I'm surprised no one. (laughs) You want to talk about enablers in the media? The media sitting here reporting uh, about uh, X amount of people have been um, found and arrested uh, after the riot on the U.S. Capitol. And I'm like, that's great. That's sure. Wonderful. How the hell did they get out of there without being arrested? There were people at these Black Lives Matters uh, demonstrations that got arrested for just not being on the curb. You know what I mean? Like, how did this? What? None of this makes sense. But this was all you had the people that enabled it and the one person that incited it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I saw that there was a congressman that. Introduced a bill to investigate ties between police forces and white nationalism, and uh, like I'm not saying all cops are racist and far from it. I know several of people who work forces who are phenomenal individuals and whom I hold in high regard. But like, why is it that you seemingly have more incidences of? essentially state justified hate crimes. Like why is it that statistically speaking people of color suffer worse experiences under police forces all across the nation, right? Like obviously there's something there when there's smoke, there's a fire and we're seeing it expressed in the statistics. Um,
0: you know- I mean, the, just the history alone, all these instances of police brutality and people getting um, shot killed paralyzed in some instances where then the the police go off to get no no jail time no nothing Um,
1: paid leave dude they get paid
0: leave keep their job but they get a paid vacation you know it's it's you know and some of them get paid for shooting in the wrong apartment so meaning they missed and then they are not paid but get prosecuted for that so make it make sense but
1: It would still be batshit crazy if this happened and they often met justice in the courts. It would be even Uh, more bizarre is that not only do they get a free vacation out of it, in most instances they get acquitted of crimes. And it's unreal to me that we practically incentivize it.
0: Yes. And that's what I'm talking about, like not every so not every change then in talking about how is our society progressing is, you know, building streets, uh, you know, something shiny. Uh, that's not the metric of how your society is growing. Um, it's about these, it's about these important little things about how we're operating and how um, the society functions together with other facets of it. And that's where laws, the legislative level that our statutes and our, um, that it's are establishing the social
1: fabric, right? They like are establishing like we need the to the social have fabric. trust in our institutions. We need to have trust in the laws of our land. We need to have trust in the vision that we have for ourselves and our future.
0: But it also needs to protect and not, it needs to protect everybody equally. And it needs to disincentivize anything that bricks at the social fabric that we're, that we need to operate, that we all agree to operate within. And to your point, there's not a reason not to find yourself in that situation. And we've only seen that, you know, happen so many times. And I'll say that the only positive, and this is what I've said about the um, Trump presidency, um, like from day one, I was like, well, I mean, we're going to learn something um, is like over these instances, Go learn today over these instances. Every time it hurts, I need to learn more. I need to know more. Right. That makes me that motivates me to like, OK, am I missing something? And most of the time I'm not. By the way, this is actually just this wrong and is very blatantly in my face Um, but I learn more and more and the more you peel back the layers of history this is what I going back to how everything in in the US that is political is complicated not necessarily that it's complicated but it has so many layers to it um, of history and uh, in this instance it's just a history of, of systematic patterns of oppression And, you know, these are the same people saying that the Black Lives Matter uh, movement protests, George Floyd, uh, Breonna Taylor's demonstrations uh, earlier in the year are are the same thing as what we saw in D.C. Those are the people that are willfully ignorant. Um, And those are the people that I think as elected officials, as leaders, as um, community leaders, we just have to be like, hey, I, I don't I don't I don't know them personally. But I do know that they are wrong. And that is not what our society needs to be or needs from our, our leadership. And, um, you know, and, and that is something that, boy, like that made me, you know, I had somebody kind of tell me that they were like, I'm, you know, I don't know about being, I don't want to tell anybody that I was elected or not elected. But they would say that they did not want to tell anybody that they worked in politics at one point. And I'm like, no, this is a time when if you have any view of how Governance at any level goes, and you know what those people enable is wrong because you've seen better. Then you say that you let people know that it's not right. Like, look, Missouri unfortunately is is represented by its finest. And um, before I start talking about all of that, what was it like seeing the siege, the storming on the Capitol being so far away? And and did anybody ask you? I'm, I have to believe people asked Uh-oh. you
1: about it. Yeah, this is the thing that everybody's been talking about. Uh, it's been all anybody has talked about for that matter. And, uh, you know, I'm glad that I'm away from the country because it is so sad. Like, more than anything, it's just sad how you can see all those people think that Donald Trump actually cares about them. You know, he said, I'll be right there with you when it happens. And he was in a bunker watching on TV. And now yeah. all of them are going to get to go to jail and face charges for a guy that never gave a crap about him in the first place. It's sad. More than anything, it's sad seeing Americans throw away their lives for someone who could only care about his own narcissism and not even see it. Um, and, you know, when I saw it, the second thought was, well, of course it happened. Like, yeah. it would have been shocking if I didn't know it was going to happen the question wasn't was it going to happen it was when it was going to happen and it was so obvious right like i can't have been the only one that felt that way
0: no like i said earlier they told you what they were going to do
1: they they said they were going (laughs) to
0: they put it on social media
1: They broadcast it for everybody to see. So anybody who's acting, you know, like they're surprised at this, just wasn't paying attention. And that's what's so dangerous about all of this is that even if we decide to lock him up and throw away the key, there's still 20 to 30% of the people out there who believe that he's their God Emperor and who believe the election system was rigged against them and believe that no matter what the Democrats do, it's illegitimate. And that's a cancer that doesn't go away overnight. That requires treatment and we haven't given it that.
0: And I think this is why we want leaders that actually get that, right? Because they take advantage of the folks and give them false equivalencies, straw man arguments. They gaslight them. I agree with you. Both sides need to reckon, reckon with how they have contributed to how we got here. But really, we need to look inside ourselves from for, for myself, um, it's been just that maybe I haven't been vocal enough, but maybe I haven't been vocal enough about how I feel and I'm just like, so what's going on here? am I get, am I missing something? And I feel like we're
1: it can only go up from here, right? Oh God, don't say that. I said that like seven times last year and look where we're at. Yeah, yeah, you're right.
0: You're right. This will, this will be the year. So, you know, I feel like we're going to have, you know, we, we're going to be old enough to have grandkids and be talking to those younger humans and just be like, you are so pessimistic. And it's like, do you know what we saw? Do you have any idea what my generation saw?
1: <laughs> I feel yeah, like every generation our, does. Only that, our third but... once, once in a lifetime economic collapse. By the time oh you're 30, right.
0: That, that has been the most um, I've connect, like I've connected with any, meme or whatever
1: online
0: is just just like laying out every once in a lifetime event that has happened in people's lives who have not quite hit 30 or 40 um especially the 30 year olds uh but 40 year olds I'll, i'll include you guys but it's astounding the amount of stuff that we have seen it has just been it's crazy it's crazy stuff we've seen. And I think it's only going to get crazier. That was my point about us getting to the 21st century by all of this It's like flinging us forward. We're just going to have to do it. There's going to be a lot of things that are new um, following this uh, once in a lifetime event,
1: but. Well, God, I hope so if we go through all of this and we don't come out changed, then then what have we sacrificed for? We
0: have to believe that we will. We have to believe that we will. Uh, And then we have to follow that up with action. So I I really appreciate you jumping on and uh, being a part of this recording. I know it was a lot that we talked about, but it was a lot this year. So this was, uh, this was fun. And thanks for kind of giving the um, expats perspective. Um, But yeah, happy new year, my
1: friend. Happy new year to you as well. And before I go, I'm going to leave you with my wishes for the new democratic Senate and house. And that is that their first priority is, of course, impeaching Trump and prosecuting to the fullest extent anybody who participated in the seditious acts of the storming of the Capitol. I also hope the Democrats immediately take their majority to push back through the Voting Rights Act to ensure that our elections are safe and that they're secure. And ultimately, they can use that to stop suppression of voters and make people's voices be heard
0: i love it you gotta you gotta make change you can't just i railed against the political officials that come and go but you're right you you gotta fix the institution fortify it if you want something better Stuart pence uh stay safe my friend holy hell that was a year and um it's crazy because as, as we kind of left off on, we, we started another year just as crazy. And I remember as we were going through that conversation thinking, my goodness, I forgot about this. My goodness, I forgot about that. And that was just kind of the year that we had. And so I'm looking now forward again. I I, I always take January as a reflective time for myself. and. One thing that I'm really seeing is, uh, and kind of some takeaways, is that our voice matters. That's not just black folks. That's not just men, women, every person's voice matters. And I think we we've seen that in how some of the especially when we're talking about exercising your voice to votes uh, and some of the election results, but also just in general, when we're talking with people, when we're when we're interacting with other human beings. You know, one thing that I talked about is I I was so surprised to see I was so surprised to see the amount of allies and one of the large amounts of conversations that I did have around the George Floyd uh, demonstrations and um, Black Lives Matter movement, social justice summer, was the conversation of inaction. And the conversation I would always then take it to is a conversation about acknowledgement and awareness. And this was so important, so significant, because this was cross generations of folks it, all of a sudden realizing their placement in how these systematic patterns of oppression continue and let me just say this isn't just this is isn't just about racism this is actually about every ism. this is about every other and of another person this is something that i myself have to do on a daily basis is recognize my my contribution to these systematic patterns of oppression and recognize how I am going on autopilot with my responses with my words and my actions and sometimes even my dollar this is something that we haven't all come to to grasp yet, and is that is the difference between awareness and acknowledgement? We want to bring awareness that this is an issue. We need to bring awareness that this is an issue. We need that recognition, but that recognition cannot come until that it, there is that acknowledgement. And I think that is what that conversation about um, you know inaction start starts to get to the understanding that acknowledging my part in this pattern uh, that is creating an outcome that is completely opposite of what I believe and want to see out of my community uh, and for the people that I love. And every small work that we can do to change these systems that normalize the brutality and the dehumanization of another person, it's it's our obligation to do it. So I think about the riots, the siege on the Capitol, the men and women that enabled uh, that situation, and the leaders that contributed. We've heard all the commentary, but one thing I do want to say is that, like, w- is that we have been made aware. If we haven't been paying attention for the last four plus years... We have been made aware that not every leader has the highest amount of character and the best of intentions for all people. And so now it is our duty to acknowledge our role. Have we enabled this to happen? A great example is in the state of Missouri, we did not want to expand Medicaid. We had state senator railing against the idea of even bringing it up for a vote. Uh, getting a committee hearing but yet they every hospital association medical association showed time and time again that their constituents were the ones who benefited most from expanding Medicaid they were against it because their party was it's not about people's health it's about their party so how can we acknowledge our contribution to the norms and the degradation of morals in our political and social fabric. If we don't care about each other, it's a long road. This has been the Zach Sweets Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Sweets.